Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Oh man, I'm so excited. I I, I know I really am. Like today, today, <laughs> Joseph's master plan. I I can't tell you the number of times I have looked over this and said to myself, what in the world? This guy was brilliant, and it worked to perfection. And then I wonder, what was he thinking? Like, this master plan brought such power to the nation of, of Egypt, and it these, this was a godless nation. And then I think, well, God doesn't say, save your only your good stuff for me. He just says, you give 100% all the time. You give 100% all the time. I think I, 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 there's, there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to, let's get on with the show. There's a lot to discuss. Chapter 47, verse 13. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. So, <laughs> the famine grows. Now, this is not a worldwide famine, but it's very big. Egypt, Canaan, that pretty much takes out, uh, you know, that whole Fertile Crescent thing that, that Abraham traveled that came over from Babylon. Probably about half of that crescent is now dried up at this point. So, there's really nothing on that half of the world. Uh, the, you know, the Babylon area is probably doing fine. But they're not trading because there's there's nothing over there. Nobody's growing anything. Livestock are barely surviving. You know, there's there's uh, there's there's a uh, few things that are you know that are worth going there for. But really, it's it's individual trading at this point. It's uh it's really nothing of of consequence. Verse verse fourteen. This is crazy. Joseph collected. All the money <laughs> that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan, all of it, in payment for grain that they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. In other words, he didn't stockpile stuff for himself. He didn't take a cut because of how powerful he was, and there was nothing Pharaoh could do about it. He brought it all to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was constantly being enriched because of this plan. In all of this, the money, when the money ran out, verse 15, the people of Egypt and Canaan, all of it was gone. All of Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. He said, then bring me your livestock. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought the livestock and they gave him food in exchange for their horses and their sheep and their goats and the cattle and the donkeys. And he brought them all that year with food in exchange for livestock. And then that year was over, and guess what? They were still hungry. He said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that all our money is gone, all our livestock is gone. There's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Oh, why should we perish before your eyes? We in our land as well? Buy us in our land in exchange for food, and we will. We with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and the land may, may not be desolate. And Joseph brought all, he bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, 
The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them and the land became Pharaoh's. And Joseph reduced the people of Egypt from one end to the other to servitude. Wow. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough food to, for the allotment that Pharaoh gave them, and this is why they did not sell their land. And Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is the seed that you need to plant the ground. And when your crop comes up, you give one-fifth of it to Pharaoh, and the other four-fifths you may keep as seed for your fields and for food for yourselves and for your households and for your children. You have saved our lives, they said. We may find favor in your eyes, our Lord, and we will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning the land of Egypt, still enforced today that a fifth of all the produce belongs to Pharaoh, and it was only the land of the priests that did not go to Pharaoh. Wow. Let's just let's just break down. Now, I know, but that was less than five minutes. The whole plan, the master plan, Joseph's master plan. I don't think there's enough sermons on this because when I read this the first time, I was like, wait, what? Like, we get this whole picture of Joseph being like, here's the food. Everybody can live. I am a great and generous man. Here's the food. Here's the food. <laughs> this plan of Joseph. This plan of Joseph is amazing. It was he was prepared. And not just for Egypt. He was ready for the world to come to him for food. Remember, we talked about how the one gate was open, how Joseph was the one who oversaw it all. All the families of Egypt and all the families of Canaan, that whole region of Syria and, and, uh, and um, well, Syria and the desert area, I'm drawing a blank, and probably as far north as parts of Turkey and Greece, all this area was all indebted all impacted by the by by famine and he was ready for it he stockpiled it all and not only did he stockpile the grain he stockpiled the seed that would be needed to replant the fields when the famine was over again brilliant it wasn't just well we got through 7 years of famine yeah but now we have nothing to plant with oh he had that too he had that too. So, so verses 13 and 14 refer to uh, the first year of famine. People, they get through, they get through the first year. Now that now basically they're heading into the second year, and they come to him and they say, um, we need food. He's like, All right, I'll sell it to you. So he sells them the grain. He collects all the money. I'm sorry, there's no other way to translate this. All of it. People emptied their pockets. They gave them all the money. So, so, you know, the wealthy, they brought their money. They bought all the grain they wanted, right? They had scrumptious meals, lavish breads. Everything was great. They made their, their mead or whatever their alcohol was out of the grain. They, they were doing fine. The poor bought barely enough to survive, but they, they spent all their money, and the rich spent all their money. Everybody spent their money. 
by by that next year, right? The wealthy, the wealthy were poor. The poor were already poor. But the rich always think that they'll be fine, right? They they always think they're going to be fine, and and in a lot of ways they are. They they usually have some sort of nest egg. They have multiple streams of income. They have influence. They have friends. They have people with connections. They have, you know, they they've stockpiled some of their own stuff. They've kept an eye on like they're they're not stupid. A lot of them aren't stupid. Some of them are stupid. I've met some very wealthy, stupid people, and you think, how did they get their money? And then you realize it was it was given to them by their parents who are not stupid, but that's another whole issue that we can talk about regarding social life. But, but Joseph does what he knows to do. He sells and he takes their money. He brings all of it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's coffers are full and the wealthy are starting to see their money go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh He's not, he's not hurting. Now, the only other people that were exempt from this kind of activity were the priests. The priests were very important in the land of Egypt because there were so many gods. They had to keep track of them all. And the priests were protected by Pharaoh, much like, much like Joseph, who was also considered a religious ruler of some sort. They were not going to need to buy grain. They would be provided food because of Pharaoh's allotment. Of food, and Joseph knew this going into the seven years. He didn't. He didn't even attempt to shut down the religious structure of Egypt, which again fascinates me, because so many Christians try to shut down every other known religious in religion in the world. Because well, Jesus is the way. We must crush the enemy, and here's here's Joseph literally with the ability to crush the enemy, and he doesn't do it. I don't know. I think there's something there for us to learn. I'm not going to preach on it. I could preach on it, but that's not what this is called. This is called the epic narrative, not the epic preaching. So, hmm, on with the on with the story. On with the story. He says uh, all the money's gone, right? All of Egypt. When it says uh, all of Egypt, it means all of it. Rulers of cities, villages, slaves. This didn't all happen in one day, right? They came, they bought, they went back, they ate, they kept coming, they kept spending, and eventually, you know, they went into their savings, they went into their resources, they they dried up their their whatever, their their retirement fund, <laughs> and and eventually all the money, all the money was gone when when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt, that means all of them, wealthy and poor alike, now they're all equals. They all come to Joseph. They say, give us food or we should die before, before your eyes. Our money is all gone. <clears throat> Remember now, these are not represent, representatives of, of cities Joseph forced everyone to come individually. Every family had to be represented. He told myself, what? You know, what in the world's going on? What is Joseph doing? He's setting the, he's setting up the people, as, as we've already read, ultimately they all become enslaved to the government. 
Is this the will of God? Is this is this the ultimate type of government that God wants to set up? No. But you'll have to come back for season three of the epic narrative to hear the, the government that God wants to set up because that's what he does when he takes the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But that's next season, everyone. Currently, it's a fair question to ask. Was this God's plan? Or Joseph's plan? Joseph had tremendous wisdom, tremendous experience, tremendous interactions. Remember, not just from his time at his father's side in which he was a member of a large, influential, wealthy clan in the land of Canaan with, with multiple contracts and interactions and marketing uh, connections throughout the land with multiple cities, multiple rulers, multiple personalities, all kinds of, of intellects. He understood that all. He learned that all from his father. And then he ends up in Potiphar's house where, again, he raises, rises to the top of the, of the crop where he has multiple, inter he speaks multiple languages now. He has connections, I know not personally, but through Potiphar, he has connections all around the world. He's, he interacts with people smoothly and, and, without, and effortlessly, right? Without hesitation, without stuttering. People appreciate his confidence. And, and he gives them solutions to problems. He's been doing this for years. People love Joseph. That's why when it says there was favor, he had favor in Potiphar's house, it means when there was a problem, Joseph solved it through spiritual, you know, in a spiritual wisdom. I, I, well, I would say prophetic, like God, he was a wise man. Wisdom, one of the words that can define wisdom is the word creativity. He had a way of problem solving that no one else seemed to have or have a grasp of. Joseph had that. And he ends up in prison. Same thing. This guy has a wealth of experience that no one else in Egypt can have because no one's been on this man's journey. And when it comes to problem solving, he's got it. Where did he get this plan? <coughs> I don't know, but I know what it's starting to look like. It looks like, it looks like communism, socialism. I'm pretty sure you start with socialism and you end with communism, but that's another whole uh, conversation we can have. So they go to him. All the money's gone. What do you want us to do? We're going to die in front of you. Now, this is hard for the Egyptians to say because remember, they know that Joseph is Hebrew and they don't like the Hebrews. Now they're coming to him literally begging for their Egyptian lives, the ones that they think are worth more than his. Crazy how people go, right? And Joseph says, all right, well, bring me your livestock and I'll give you food in exchange for your livestock. They're like, okay. Horses, sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys. All that year he exchanged food for livestock. When that year was over. So jo Joseph takes all their wealth. Now he's going to take all their livestock. This is the wealth. This is like the wealth of the nation now. This is the wealth of, of Egypt and the wealth of Canaan. If you don't have livestock, you can't you can't breed, you can't reproduce, you can't sell, you can't eat. But they're like we can't eat anyways and our livestock are dying in the fields because there's no there's no grasses. We don't care. We'll trade for them. So he's getting rock bottom prices. Good grief people, were you paying any attention last week when we were talking? Guess where the livestock are going? 
They're going to Pharaoh. Who did Pharaoh put in charge of all of his livestock? Oh my gosh, you're exactly right, Bob. He put all of Joseph's family in charge of his livestock. Guess who now has the wealth of the nation in their hands? Not just the nation of Egypt, but the nation of Canaan, where they came from. They have the wealth of the nations in their hands because all the livestock is going to Goshen because Goshen is rich in, in lush with water and with food for the, for the animals. Oh man, this plan is working perfectly. Joseph knew exactly what he was doing when he put the people down there. He didn't put them down there for any other reason than he had a plan. He knew the plan from the beginning. And he said, all right, I'm only taking five of you up to see the see Pharaoh because I want you to tell him that all you've ever done your whole lives is take care of livestock because I want him to agree with me to send you down to Goshen so that you can take care of livestock. And when he does that, he's going to he's gonna send the livestock, of all of his livestock down there as well. And uh, just trust me on this. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a windfall of wealth for all of us. They're like, okay, they go with the plan. That would have been the end of probably year two. So this is this is it. That's when the lives that's when they start trading for livestock. And all the livestock start going down to Goshen. Now, what are they gonna do? Well, they're going to take care of the wealth of the nations. This is honestly brilliant. So brilliant. I know I stopped yelling. I could tell. I got really soft. I hope hope Brian can figure out how to equal that out. Now, that year's done. Year three, they come to him. They're like, what are we supposed to do? We got nothing left. We got no livestock. We got land, but we got nothing to plant it with. We got nowhere to go. We got no one to talk to. What do you want us to do? Why don't... Why don't we give you the land and we'll just become servants of, of Pharaoh? And then he's like, yeah, all right, that's a great plan. Just the way I wanted it to go. So he takes the land and they're like, we have nothing to grow. He's like, well, that's fine. So he takes the land in exchange for servanthood. This now becomes... All the land belongs to Pharaoh. So all the land belongs to the government. The government now takes a cut of everything you grow for the rest of your live long days. This is not a five-year plan. This is not Joseph saying, hey, you know, over the next few years while the famine's going on, you can plant some, some seeds. There's, there's some growth that takes place even during famine. It's just not enough really to to live on and definitely not enough to you know to trade you need to purchase additional additional food or you don't make it but they don't have any additional food why because they don't have any seed because it's been three years since any significant growth has taken place and when the the growth that does take place they eat they don't turn it they don't let it turn to seed and they have no money to buy seed so Joseph's like, all right, here. I'll make a very good deal for you. You plant what you can plant. I'll give you the seeds. 
and uh, only a fifth of it will go back. Uh, well, we'll just take a fifth of it. The rest of it will be yours. Wow. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt. How did he buy it? With, with grain. Then the Egyptians came in and sold their fields because of the famine was too severe and the land became Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh reduced the people to servanthood from one end of Egypt to the other. In other words, rich and poor, it didn't matter. They all were slaves. I thought, I thought the Hebrews were slaves. I thought the Egyptians were big meanies who turned to we. What are you talking about, Bob? What are you talking about? I don't know. I'm just reading the Bible. I know that I know what happens. I know Exodus. I know enough of it, I should say, to know what why you're confused. But let's just stay where the narrative is right now. All of Egypt becomes enslaved to the to the government. They're all on welfare. They all received a regular, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, the priests, the priests are not. The priests are still re receiving their regular allotment from Pharaoh. Everything's going fine. Joseph's making sure the priest and Pharaoh are taken care of. Those are now the elite, the religious leaders and the Pharaoh, as well as Joseph and his family. Those are the elite. They're the ones who are surviving. They're not going into slavery. They're not having to do more work and less pay type of thing. They don't have to sell themselves out to the government. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you, listen to that, verse 23, now that I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh, now here's the seed. And you give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you can keep as food for yourself and your household. And he, they said, you have saved our lives. Literally, they exchanged all of their freedoms for their life. This is a classic move by totalitarian governments. They literally... You know, they literally will take everything from you in order to, in essence, make you their slaves. You now are theirs. Everything you own belongs to them, and they will graciously let you live as long as you continue to produce for them. So, so anyways, uh, yeah, verse 26, Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt that a fifth of all the produce always belongs to the government in this case, Pharaoh. Verse 27, now the Israelites settled in the land of, of, region, of the region of Goshen in the land of Egypt. They acquired property there. Acquired pro Wait, they didn't have to sell property? Everybody else in Egypt had to sell property. They increased, they were fruitful and, and increased greatly in number. They kept having babies. They kept expanding. You don't make babies in famine. I mean, this is scientifically proven. You can go through lands in which there's famine. Yes, people get pregnant, but at a much lower rate, and the death rate amongst infants is huge because mothers can't produce milk because there's not enough water. There's not enough, there's not enough food. It's, it's, it's a horrible plight to be in famine. And yet down in Goshen, no, Hebrews are fruitful and multiplying. 
Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. And when the time grew near for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph, and he said to him, I found favor in your eyes, and put put your hand under my thigh, and I promise you that you will show me great, great kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I come to rest, when my fathers carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they, where they are buried, I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. And Joseph swore to him. And Israel worshiped as he leaned uh, on the top of his staff. So, so there's this whole interaction that occurs kind of toward the end of the famine. But in verse, I want to go back to verse 21 where it says, And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. That's, that little verse, it not only makes them all slaves of Egypt, but it says when, when he reduced them to servitude one end of Egypt to the other, this literally happened in that he moved people, the people of Egypt would move from one city to another. Where were these cities located? Oh, they were the cities that had the grain in them. That's why the land of Goshen was empty. It was emptied because the grain there had already been sold off. And so when the family came down from Canaan, they were able to move into the houses of the Egyptians without any hesitation because they were already empty. It was abandoned. That city was abandoned. Joseph had, had, had uh, what do they call it, relocated the cities of Goshen to another city where there was where there was grain. And this is how he kept people from having to travel across the country to get grain. He literally moved the Egyptians from one city to another. These fortified towns where the where the grain was stored. And they would live there for the year until the grain was gone. And when the grain was gone, they would all pack up and like a herd of, uh, of refugees, they would move to the next city where they would obtain what was necessary in order to survive. This was the master plan. This was the way that he brought all the power to the government of Egypt. He communicates that the land is now Pharaoh's. He gives them the seed for the future to help supplement the grain so that everybody can kind of get an idea of what it's like to live on their own again. He doesn't necessarily make them wards of the state, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, you, you now all belong to us and the government will plant these, these, these fields and the government will provide food. He basically makes them sharecroppers. And this was never going to change. There was no end date. He already owned the land when the when 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 Joseph's family showed up. Like I said, he already had had exchanged the, the the food for the land. He already owned Goshen. It already belonged to Pharaoh. That's why he went to Pharaoh and said, "My family showed up. I'd really like to give them a place to stay." And Pharaoh's like, "Well, give them Goshen. Why? Because it's mine to give." It really wasn't Joseph's to give, but he knew Joseph had already given it to him. Remember, Joseph always brought things back to Pharaoh. He brought all the money to, jo to Pharaoh. He brought all the land to Pharaoh. He brought all the livestock to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's like, all right, I can give them a piece of the land. I literally own the rest of the country. I'll give them the good land, and I'll give them all the livestock. 
I don't want to be in charge of all the livestock. I don't want to make sure all this livestock is taken care of. I'll give it to Joseph's family. I don't like shepherds anyways. So Jacob and his family were the perfect fit for a problem that, that Joseph had and Pharaoh needed to get rid of. And Joseph knew it. That's why the political intrigue of the last chapter, Joseph played the Pharaoh perfectly. Jacob uh, did more than just stay, he lived there. It means when it says that, that they lived, it means they bought land, they increased in number, they settled, they grew as families, they grew their businesses. It was, it was when it says, yeah, it's, it's when it increased in number is more, is, is more than just, well, they, they had more children. It means they spread out, they took over the land. They weren't just sideline little shepherds. They, they were aggressive in the way that they took on the best land of Egypt. They were successful in everything that they tried, and they started to make plans to stay longer. They got settled in. They filled their homes with possessions. They took over the, the wealthy aspects that, of, of Egypt. Jacob lived. He was happy. He was at peace. He was filled with joy, and he was hoped he lived for 17 years in a completely different state of mind than he had for the last 20. And at the time of his death, he, he wanted a vow. He didn't want just a, a promise. He wanted a vow. He's like, put your hand here under my thigh. That, that's, a, that's a pretty close proximity to another piece of apparatus that men have. Some would say you actually grabbed it, uh, and it represented life. This is this is my life you're talking about. This is family. This is where family comes from, my loins. He said, I want to be buried back in Canaan. I don't want to be buried here. I want to go home. And Joseph's like, I promise I'll do it. No, 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 no. I want a vow. And Joseph's like, uh, all right, Dad. <laughs> I picture me telling my sons, uh, I need a vow. Yeah, but Dad, if I make a vow, I have to grab your, yep. Whoo, okay, we are, we are going to do something that not a lot of families get around to doing. Get, get, get. So the vow was made, promises were made. When Jacob died, he would be buried back at home. And it says that he worshiped, Israel worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So they did this while they were standing. He wasn't like lying in bed as an invalid. He just knew it was getting toward the end. And he wanted Joseph to know, I don't want to be buried here. I want to go home. It's amazing how valuable it is for people to go home. It's a beautiful thing, actually. A lot of, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, if you've ever considered, like, where am I going to be buried? But a lot of times, you know, families have plots of land. 
And it's actually kind of sad sometimes when people don't have a plan or they don't have a place to go. It, 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 there's, there's something that's unsettled about it. It's why, you know, we, we uh, militarily, right, we, we produce a place for people to go even though we might not have their bodies because there's something about lying, you know, laying someone to rest. And when we find remnants of people, we go through hoops to identify their DNA so that they can they can be restored to their families and final goodbyes can be said. There's something fascinating about that whole process. And that's what that's really what Jacob's doing here. He's like, hey, I love this land. I have truly lived here. I've truly lived. I've seen our family expanded, our wealth explode. But I don't want to be buried here. So there's something in all of that for us to learn from and to and to at least have some sort of dialogue about. But Joseph made a pro, made a vow to his father. I will make sure you get home when you die. Now this is a this is a short episode. I I wanted to I I literally looked over my notes here briefly. I was like, dang it, there's the next one's so long because we have this this chapter of blessing and it goes through every kid and there's no way to shorten it and it would just go too long. So I will see you again next week on the epic narrative, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging out. And I know I keep trying to make the epic narrative shorter. Like ah. Shorten up the episode, double up on an episode. It's like, ah, but I can't. <laughs> It'd still be just as long. We just would have episodes that are two hours apiece. Anyways, I hope you guys are having a great day. I'll see you again next week. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, that was a, I love, I, that, I don't know. For me, this was one of those uh, as I studied it and realized what Joseph had set up for the government and the way that he empowered the Pharaoh and enriched the Pharaoh, right? He put Pharaoh from a, from a rotating 10, 10 governors that would rotate into the position of Pharaoh. He literally turned it into um, a dominant Pharaoh, one who... Uh, because he everything he did in the in the Pharaoh's name because uh, you know I guess you could say Pharaoh gave him his job and in exchange for that he uh, he enriched and empowered the Pharaoh to the point where there was no there was no going back uh, Pharaoh was not going to give up that power and we all know what that's like when uh, government authorities find more authority and power and control they do not give it back uh, they might they might. They might concede a couple points, but the conditions of that of that you know conceding are so detailed and ridiculous that you end up really not losing. They they end up not losing any power anyway. So, what Joseph did was again fascinating to me. I, I remember I remember when it when I first started reading about it, um, and it was in a a uh, Egyptian archaeology book. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And then to in essence see it so clearly in scripture. And again, it was reiterated in the uh, Jewish, Jewish writings in the Midrash. Uh, I don't know, for me, that was, that was really eye-opening. And uh, 
I, I hope you also enjoyed uh, the opportunity to consider what often isn't covered in church uh, because there's other, other points they're trying to make about, about Joseph being the savior of the world because he pictures Jesus if that's, you know, if that's the case. And uh, I get that, I do. And I don't, I don't wanna take that picture away. He did save the world, uh, but he also enslaved the world and he enslaved all of, all of Egypt, which plays in so big, I think, when it comes to Exodus. I don't even know if I if I emphasize it enough uh, because I've already uh, started recording the book of Exodus. So uh, this this episode just reminded me again. It was like, wow, you got a picture. The entire nation of Egypt is enslaved to to Pharaoh. They're now all sharecroppers. Everybody's trying to recover, trying to get back to the good old days, trying to become the wealthy, uh, arrogant nation that they were, and. And they look around and, and the only people that are enriched and didn't suffer and continue to expand were the Hebrews, the immigrants who have no, no nation. They have, it's not like they immigrated from their own nation and could go back. They, they had no land there either in Canaan. So, so it had to be so, um, the potential was to become very racist and and uh, ethnically biased against the Hebrews, and uh, by the time you get to Exodus, like it's it's just very simply uh, given. Uh, the Hebrews were a hated nation, and they were seen as usurpers and immigrants and uh, unwanted and in 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 not in superior, not as superior. What's what's the word for that? Anyways, it was it, it turned ugly. And so, yeah, the, the, as, as you will discover if you listen to season three, the enslavement of the Hebrews didn't happen overnight. It happened as the culture of the nation shifted and, and the pharaohs that followed after Joseph realized, wait a minute, uh, my own people are suffering and I can blame it all on the Hebrews. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, what does every politician, especially those with absolute power, need? They always need a foil. They always need to blame it on the other guy. It doesn't matter how many administrations go by. Every administration blames it on the previous administration. And here in Pharaoh's world, in the Egyptian world, it was like, hey, we can blame all of our troubles on the Hebrews. So they just enslaved the Hebrews. And the Hebrews had their choices to make as well. And we go into that, like I said, not to keep promoting Exodus, but I am promoting Exodus. The Hebrews had to keep making the decision to stay. But it all goes back to what Joseph did. It all goes back to the system that he put in place that enslaved the nation of Egypt to the Pharaoh and let his people live free and expand and, and enrich themselves because they were literally taking care of the entire nation's livestock and one of the major exports and import systems uh, uh, areas of the world, the, the Nile, the Delta of the Nile. I'm telling you, it is an intriguing thing that Joseph set up and uh, I hope that I uh, hope you think about it. Those are my thoughts today. I hope you guys have a great day. I look forward to seeing you next week as we almost are at the end of the second season of the Epic Narrative. Have a great day.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.